Have you ever considered the impact your work environment has on your health and your productivity? Enter Uplift Desk, a revolutionary standing desk designed to transform the way you work. And that's just the beginning of what Uplift Desk has to offer. With an emphasis on ergonomics and customization, Uplift Desk offers a solution that caters to the dynamic needs of modern professionals. Whether you're coding, designing, or podcasting, like I am right now, the flexibility to switch between sitting and standing can significantly enhance your focus and vitality. What makes Uplift Desk stand out is not just their commitment to quality and innovation, but also their dedication to creating a healthier workspace. With options to customize from over 100 desktop materials and a plethora of accessories, Uplift Desk ensures that your work setup is uniquely yours, promoting better posture and movement throughout the day. And here's an offer to get you started on a healthier work journey starting today. Go to upliftdesk.com slash timecrafting for 5% off your order. That's upliftdesk.com slash timecrafting to get 5% off your entire order. Your health, your productivity, your future self will thank you. Again, that's upliftdesk.com slash timecrafting and get 5% off your entire order today. Have you ever had that heart-stopping moment when you realized you forgot the password to a critical account? I have, and that's exactly why I switched to 1Password years ago, and honestly, it's been a game-changer. I can't do without 1Password, and I know that if you give it a try, you will feel the same way. And when you support our sponsors, then you support the show. So I encourage you to check out what 1Password has to offer one of the things 1Password has to offer is it combines top-tier security with an award-winning design, making password management a breeze for anyone, anywhere. From the moment I started using 1Password, I said goodbye to the days of resetting passwords and worrying about security breaches. You see, 1Password isn't just about convenience. It's about saving you from the real cost of data breaches and the daily time suck of password resets. It works seamlessly across all your devices, filling in passwords for you so that you can sign in with a click. And the best part, all you need to do is remember one strong password that protects everything else. I've been using 1Password for as long as I can remember. My family is using it. Everyone in this household has bought in. It's, again, a game changer. It's completely transformed how I handle my digital security and my family feels the same way. We've gotten away from using the same passwords again and again and again, or sticky note reminders or having that notebook that says passwords I must remember. Plus, 1Password is trusted by millions, including giants like IBM and Slack. With 1Password, my digital life and my family's digital life is not only more secure, but infinitely simpler. And look, if you've ever been frustrated by a family member constantly asking for passwords, 1Password's secure sharing has been a total relationship saver for me. It's so secure that the Associated Press relies on it in high-risk areas, which means it's more than capable of keeping your digital life safe and streamlined. So why not make the switch? Protect yourself, your family, and your business with 1Password. It's the simple and secure way to manage your digital life. And right now, listeners of A Productive Conversation get a free two-week trial at onepasswordcom slash productive convo. 
That's two free weeks at onepassword.com slash productive convo. Again, onepassword.com slash productive convo. Check out one password. I know you'll fall in love with it like my whole family has. Again, that's onepassword.com slash productive convo for two free weeks. Check it out today. Look, you bring an outside speaker because we bring an outside perspective. I'd like to welcome Ron Tight to the Productivityist Podcast. Ron, thanks for joining me today. Mr. Vardy, how are you doing? Really, really well. So right out of the gate, I want to find out how in the world did you get Dexter Guff to blurb your book? Well, there's uh, now I'm right in my mind like I can't even do it justice with a with a humorous uh, reply. Um, but uh, Dexter Guff, who is uh, the self-proclaimed, um, what does he describe himself? The billionaire podcaster, I uh, think podcasting billionaire. He's been on the show before. I'll put a link in the show notes of, of the episode that Dexter was on uh, because it was one of those episodes. It was it was one of the more contentious episodes. I had a lot of lot of uh, uh, of information that kind of flies in the face of what you would normally expect yeah yes uh <laughs> dexter of course is uh, played brilliantly created brilliantly by peter oldring and uh, i think it is exactly the character is exactly what um the thought leadership space needs it is the character we need at a time that we most need it and uh so i uh, i was a guest on dexter guff's show and um Back when Peter was with uh, Pat Kelly and Chris Kelly doing This Is That, I was the publisher of their book, uh, This Is That Travel Guide to Canada. And we go way back to, I want to say, it's going to even hurt to say this date. I'm going to say like 1998 or something something like that. Mm. Um, when they were at the second, when Pat and Peter were at the second city in Toronto. Um and um, were you alive in 98? I, I was I was I was actually I just I think I just moved out west. I would have been 24 at the time. Right. Right. So I'm not that okay. far behind you. <laughs> Full of piss and vinegar. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I reached out to Peter. And I was like, I because I, I in the book, there are these like BS quotes. Right. Uh, and I hate when people quote other people. It's just not something I love to do. So I made these, you know, ridiculously um false quotes from famous people and i thought well if i'm gonna have a false quote in the book i might as well have kind of a false blurb on the outside of it so i that's when i reached out to to dexter and uh yeah peter did it so the book we're talking about is think do say how to seize attention and build trust in a busy busy world and for those of you who've listened to the show before you know that i believe productivity is about intention and attention so think do say it's interesting because most people tend to go think, say, do. Like the, They're the, wrong. Right. So why that order? The order is because everything starts with purpose and everything starts with, you know, what is the, what is the bigger picture thing that you, that you fundamentally believe in? Uh, Simon Sinek fans can, can take that into the why category. I, I think it was about a, a personal brand belief. Um, and so once you have that, then the next thing you need to do is you need to behave in a way that reinforces that purpose. Then and only then can you talk about it. Now, the talking part should be the easy part because people say like, well, what, what, what do you talk about? 
excuse me, will, will you talk about what you believe and what you do to reinforce the belief? That's what you talk about. It's a really easier that way. If you start with the think and then you go into the say, well, you're only telling people what you believe in. And if you're only telling them what you believe in, there is no reason for them to believe you because there is no actions that you're concluding in that say to show that you actually do it. And, uh, you know, and some people will just say, well, we're just going to talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. If all you do is talk about the great things you're going to do, but you never actually do them, you'll be found out. You're like, you will seriously be found out. And if you're an organization and all you do is claim all this great stuff you're going to do, but then you don't actually do it, well, then you're in constant churn mode because you're never living up to the example because you're always chasing the actions to reinforce the belief, to reinforce what you've talked about, opposed to merely reporting on the things that have already occurred. There's, there's you know, uh, it's, it's a um, bulletproof when you're talking about things that have already occurred. So one of the, one of the, not quotes, but there's lots of great quotes in here. One of the, you know, you get to page 115 in the book and the facing page says your organization should believe in something more important than the bottom line. And one of the things I find with organizations when they're looking at productivity is that's where they look. It's about quantitative product. How much can we get done? What can we churn out? Like it's about the numbers, not about necessarily the, 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 like you said, the purpose of the qualitative components of it. How do you help organizations and how does, how will this book help organizations think beyond the bottom line? Well, I think when people read that, and I don't know if you took it this way, but I think people can get their backs up justifiably, right? They mm -hmm. go like, hey man, we're not a not-for-profit. I'm sorry, but we need to believe in the bottom line. This is a business. And the business has to has to survive based on the profitability of the business. So that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you need to abandon and pay no attention to the bottom line. But I think far too many people look at the bottom line and try and manipulate the bottom line by uh, by messing with the numbers. We're going to cut costs here. We're going to eliminate headcount here, and so that we end up with more profitability. And what yet well, that occurs is the soul gets sucked out of the business. And it is a long, drawn-out spiral to death where you just cut and cut and cut and cut and cut. And before you know it, there is no brand personality. There is no investments in stuff that will help you in the future. There is no fulfillment on the part of your staff. There is no hire. There's nothing there. And um, so it's not that the bottom line isn't important. It's that if you prioritize purpose, and you prioritize the more important things for your business, the bottom line will take care of itself. You will grow the business. Your people will be fulfilled. Your costs will be cut. And basically using your teachings, you know, that if that we all know that, you know, certainly in our business, when you look at our business here, I own an agency, and we can go in with a, the costs on what something will cost us. We, we do a, a fee proposal to client based on a certain project, right? And, and our goal, of course, is to not lose money. Well, if we act with intent um, and we continually chase that work, then our new business cost goes down because we're really tightly, um, we're really tightly focused on the thing we do really, really well. Um, the other part of it that I think is really important is that um, we, where we lose our greatest amount of money isn't on 
estimating the cost of the work at the front end where we go, oh, we got that wrong. It's it's in the lack of productive time in generating the work. That's where we lose money. When we have to go back five rounds because the client is not expecting this type of work or we don't know how to do that type of work or we get it completely wrong, that's where we lose our money. Right. And that is, of course, people, both clients and agency people who aren't as clear on what we stand for, what type of work we develop and how we do it. And if everybody gets on the same page for that, you knock it out in round two, that's where you make your money. So I think that's the first part. The second part, if, if I can continue to ramble no, here. Given our and, and by the way, uh, if you're looking for a reference point on vision, Michael Hyatt was on the program not too long ago, and he's got that in the book, The Vision, all about vision, which I think th there's a nice tie in there. But go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So only because you and I have a love of comedy. Yeah. I think there's a great example here in um, – so John Stewart, 15 years ago, appeared on a show called Crossfire, which was on CNN. It was a political discussion show with Paul Begali from the left and Tucker Carlson from the right. I remember this bit. <laughs> yes. Now, John Stewart was at the top of his game. And when a comedian, you, you and I, we know how this works. If you're a comedian and you get a spot on a national television show in an interview format. You sit down with Seth Meyers, you sit down with uh, you know, uh, Jimmy Fallon, whoever. We all know how this works. The comedian manipulates the conversation so that they can reach back and pull out and jam into the conversation their best bits. We know this, yep. we smell it a mile away and it's like, I get it, you want me to watch your Netflix special? So you're gonna leave with your best product. I get that. They put product before purpose in hopes of getting the sale. Now, John Stewart lands on Crossfire and they start ribbing him and he looks at them and says, you're harming America, both of you. And Tucker Carlson turns to him and says, geez, John, you're not being very funny tonight. <laughs> and, then, and then John Stewart says nine words that not only changed the face of comedy, but fundamentally changed leadership within organizations and changed how organizations should connect with their clients and their prospects and their employees. Because when Tucker Carlson said, you know, geez, John, you're not being very funny, John Stewart said, no. No, I'm not gonna be your monkey. When he had the biggest audience he had ever had before him in a national television show, when he had the best opportunity to lead with product, he instead chose purpose. He chose purpose over profit. Now, what's really important is this is not a moral dilemma, this is a business dilemma. Because when he chose profit, when he chose purpose over profit, that's when the profit flowed. That's when Jon Stewart got completely respected for being more than a comedian. That's when he got respected for having a soul behind the product that informed and inspired the product. And that's when the entire genre blew up. And now we have Hassan Minaj, we got Samantha Bee, we got Trevor Noah, we got John Oliver, we got Stephen Colbert. There's an endless amount of parody news specials, uh, news shows. Why? Because on that night, John Stewart chose purpose over profit and in doing so, that's when the profit flowed. But if it was, you say the accountants, well, what would the accountants say to do? They'd look at the bottom line and they'd go, you're gonna pitch hard, you're gonna pitch hard, you're gonna pitch hard. And slowly but surely, if he just continued to do that, he would lose his soul and people would turn it out, turn it off. Right, right. It's actually, you know, as you were talking about, like the profit will take care of itself. Reminds me of the book by Bill Walsh, 
the score takes care of itself, the old 49ers coach. And it's interesting because as you go back into John Stewart, uh, Bill Walsh has this tremendous coaching tree in the NFL, where if you look, you're like, oh my goodness, like his people have, you know, it's just this big, long thing. And you just right. mentioned John Stewart's got his quote coaching tree, yeah. right? Like if you look at it, here's, this is, this is what I think people, I think when people look at, and I'm not even just going to say their to-do list because they're, I think their to-do list, they're trying to check off as many things as possible because again, you know, uh, productivity to them is about being efficient, being effective, getting as many things done as possible because they can hide behind the quote. It's not about being, it's not about results. It's about just, you know, churn, right? About like spinning the wheel and getting things done and cranking widgets, right? Whereas, yeah. and, and this is just as a personal example real quick is we, we just finished as we're recording this, my, my first ever event in Vancouver called the big ready. And it was not, there were not a lot of people there, but it were, they were the right people there and the propensity. And there, there's a part, there was a part in my head that said, as soon as it was done, because we, we, I mean, it was, it was not a profitable event in terms of making money, but I, as I watched the event unfold, it was, it was exactly what it needed to be, which then kept me from doing the thing that a lot of people might do. And a lot of, I've had some advice on this, which is, okay, now that the event's done, create the Facebook group and then start pushing your product. I've created a Facebook group that's kind of like, let's, let's connect and converse. Let's do that because you got to think long-term. What do you think? Why do you think a lot of organizations and, and individuals and personal brands get caught in that trap of, okay, let's strike while the iron's hot and try to, you know, generate profit um, instead of fostering it, playing a little bit more of the long game? Because they want to play the short game. Mm. Like, like yeah, you know, that, I, that's fair. That, 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 like they, and, and I'm not, I get it. You know, I think it's, it's, you know, whatever the old line is, you know, I've seen the, I've seen the enemy and, and it's us mm. that, you know, stock shareholders within publicly traded organizations go to board meetings and go, where the hell's my quarterly dividend? I don't care about three years out. Where's my quarterly dividend? This quarter, did you meet your numbers? That, you know, goes down, trickles down into the board, trickles to the CEO, trickles to the CMO, trickles to the VP, director level, everybody. And so everybody's chasing these bullshit vanity metrics over the quarter because they want to meet their numbers, meet their numbers, meet their numbers. And that's, I mean, it's the kind of the equivalent of like, just like, oh, if you got to, if you got to meet, you know, your, your, the number of pounds you lose in a week, then you're going to take drastic measures. Can you lose the pounds? Yeah. And you'll wake up one day and you're ridiculously ill. Whereas if you just go, look, I'm committing to a long-term growth strategy where I'm going to get healthy. And I'm not going to look at the numbers, but I am going to look at the things that I do and I'm going to run, uh, you know, so many times per week and I'm going to exercise so many times per week and I'm going to change my dietary habits in these ways. If I do all those things, the pounds are going to come off. But if all we do is look at the scale every single day, what do we end up doing? We end up starving ourselves. We go on these crazy diets. We take pills. We get, you know, all to meet the number. We know how to do this. Like we know how to lose weight and get fit. Eat well exercise, take care of your mental health. That's it. We know how to grow companies, play for the long game. And um, I think there's, you know, as we brought in this love of data and metrics, which can, don't get me wrong, can give us wonderful insight into what's working and what's not working and where we can become more efficient and whatnot, um, that people have become so obsessed with the numbers that that's all they do. Right. And, you know, it's like in, in the speaking business, I you know, there are some speakers who, I absolutely love who are so focused on uh, where did this people always say to me, like, well, if you're exclusive with a bureau, how do you know what 
like how many events do you give to the bureau of people who've looked at you and how many people how many events have the bureau got for you and i go i don't care <laughs> that's not my goal my goal is to grow top line revenue and number of engagements and and you know the percent or the you know amount per per, per gig I don't care where it comes from. And so if I just invest into doing the right things and not worry about attributing data and credit to one source, as long as the top line is growing, let's continue to do the things we're doing. Ever caught yourself marveling at the seamless magic of everyday tech, like how noise-canceling headphones block out the world or the sheer bliss of meeting-free Fridays? Now imagine if there was a way to bring that kind of magic into selling online. Well, guess what? There is, and it's called Shopify. From the moment you decide to launch your online shop to opening your first physical store, and even when you're pinching yourself because yes, you just hit a million orders, Shopify is there to guide your growth. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or the latest productivity tools, Shopify supports you everywhere with their all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system. The checkout, oh, it's a breeze for your customers, converting up to 36% better than other platforms. And with Shopify Magic, your AI-powered assistant, you're selling more with way less effort. And you won't be alone in your Shopify journey because Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., supporting giants like Allbirds and Brooklinen and millions of entrepreneurs across 175 countries. Their award-winning support is always there, making sure businesses that grow, Grow with Shopify, and yours can be one of those businesses. And for those looking to level up, Shopify's endless integrations and third-party apps from on-demand printing to chatbots ensure your business is always ahead of the curve. So what are you waiting for? Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash timecrafting, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash timecrafting now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash timecrafting. Meal planning is important because it prevents us from being a disappointed wreck when dinner time comes around and we have no clue what to make or even if we have the ingredients to make the meal. It's a time and a money saver, but most importantly, it frees up valuable brain space. Creating a meal plan prepares us for the week to come and gives us peace of mind that we're organized and can feed ourselves and our family. That's why I do it and that's why Plan to Eat helps me do it. Your subscription includes access to the Plan to Eat website and fully featured mobile apps on iOS and Android. And Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the Plan to Eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash timecrafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. Okay, we're going to take a break from the conversation right now to talk about one of my favorite things that helps me think, do, and say stuff, and those are the apps that I have. And I want to talk about Setapp, which is a subscription for Mac apps. Now, if you're a Mac user, you should give Setapp a try. Setapp packs over 180 high-quality apps into one. There's an app for almost any task so you can stay in your flow and finish what you started. And that's what productivity is really all about. It's a great value. At just $9.99 a month, instead of paying thousands for separate licenses, there's just one flat 
monthly fee. New apps are always being added to set up. Updates are free and all the apps are full featured pro versions. So none of this freemium stuff, it's full featured apps. That's what you're getting with setup. Setup has a dedicated curation team that only selects the highest quality apps as well, which is fantastic. And you don't have to spend time on app discovery and testing. Setup makes it easy to get the best tools when you need them. They're already in setup and setup's been around for a while. They launched in beta in 2016 ahead of a full official release in January 2017. And in November of 2019, setup for teams was launched. Bring the setup software library to teams of all sizes now i'm looking at my setup setup right now and it's really cool because you can see some of the the great apps that they offer again over 180 of them if you're looking for some great to-do list apps they're there to do is one of them e you know eon timeline is another one bartender i use bartender love it busy cal busy contacts so many great things you ulysses is in here the, the tool i use to write ulysses i can go on and on uh, there are no shortage of apps available for you in setup and I want you to give it a try. You can try setup for free for seven days. Just go to setup.com and give it a try. I am so excited to have them as a sponsor of the productivity podcast because they, they give you the apps you need to get the job done. So check out setup.com for free. Go to set. So check out setup for free. Give it a try for seven days. Absolutely free. Just visit setup.com today. Now let's talk about something that you might not like all that much, and that's email. But SaneBox is going to help you out with that. You see, Inbox Zero, it's really a thing of the past. We're just so inundated and overwhelmed with email that it's no longer about responding to everything. It's really about responding to only the important things, you know, the messages that truly matter. And that's where SaneBox comes in. Think of SaneBox as a robotic Marie Kondo for your email. You know, as messages flow in, SaneBox does the triage for you, leaving only the important emails in your inbox and directing all the distracting stuff to your Sane Later folder. So you know what messages to pay attention to now and what stuff you can get to later on. SaneBox also has nifty features like Sane Black Hole, where you can drag messages from annoying senders that you never want to hear from again and Sane reminders to ping you if someone hasn't replied to your email by a certain date. Best of all, you can use SaneBox with any email client or phone anywhere that you check your email. You really should give SaneBox a try. In fact, if you visit SaneBox.com timecrafting today, you can start your free trial and get a $25 credit. See how SaneBox can magically remove distractions from your inbox with this free two-week trial. Go to SaneBox.com, that's S-A-N-E-B-O-X.com slash timecrafting. Get that two-week free trial and get a $25 credit. Check out SaneBox today. So we've talked about apps, which I love. We've talked about email, which I don't love, but we have a service, SaneBox, that will help you love email once again. Let's talk about loving something else, and that's learning. And the UCI Division of Continuing Education gives you that opportunity. There's never a better time to get convenient quality online education than right now. And the UCI Division of Continuing Education is not a new thing. The UCI has been involved in online education for years. They've been providing students with quality online courses, and you can learn on your own time online. The UCI Division of Continuing Education has courses and certifications in a wide range of categories. And let's talk about those online courses because they're taught by expert instructors with industry experience. They also offer flexibility and a real immersive online classroom experience where you can even collaborate with your peers. Now, continuing education is a great way to stay abreast of developments and best practices in your field. And the UCI Division of Continuing Education can help you with that as well as help you gain 
the edge in your career or help you launch a new business. Think about it. You can advance your career in as little as six months. I want you to take advantage of what the UCI Division of Continuing Education has to offer. Enrollment is open now for the summer quarter. Courses begin as early as June 22nd, so don't delay. If you are interested in learning more about these programs but are concerned about the cost, UCI has scholarship options for those that qualify as well. So visit ce.uci.edu slash productivityist and then enter the promo code TIMECRAFTING for 15% off of one course. That's ce.uci.edu slash productivityist and then enter the promo code time crafting to get that 15% discount off of one course. Now, the discount is available for almost all of the certificate programs. The exceptions only include coding boot camps, international programs, teacher credentialing programs, and test prep courses. Also, this offer is only valid until July 31st, 2020 at 11.59 p.m. So take advantage of it now. Visit ce.uci.edu slash productivityist, enter that promo code TIMECRAFTING, get that 15% off of one course today. Now let's get back to my conversation with Ron Tite here on the Productivity is Podcast. You know, uh, as we kind of come closer to the end of this conversation, you're creative. It's pretty clear. Like, I mean, the background that you have, um, I'm sure there's probably been that that battle in your head when you were going into the direction you're going in now. When you I mean you're running a business, you're you know, and and business sense isn't always easy for artists, right? They want to just make the thing <laughs> they want to make. That was me. That was an understatement. Um, yeah. How, number one, how, uh, this is a two-parter. Number one, how did you fight the the uh, the bias or the, or the noise that said, oh, you're selling out? Because that happens a lot, right? Like if you're a funny person, you're like, oh, well, I need to make money and I just don't do this for nachos and beer anymore. How do you, how do you fight that urge? And then how do you, how do you create that harmony between the two? Because it's, it's very... There's when you do it well, the bottom line stuff, the data, and you talk about data in the book for sure. Like there's a whole section about data is not just a Star Trek character. Um, yeah. How do you how do you keep that stuff from being so? I wouldn't say transparent, but it's not the thing that people look at. It's like behind the scenes. It's, you know, again, it's like when you're doing a bit or you're doing a, or you're you're in a play or whatever. If if the audience does not know if you screw up a line or if the bit, you know, if you're a pro or you know, yeah. I mean, you, you're skilled enough, you can hide that. So how, first part, how do you keep, how do you keep the, oh, at least initially, maybe, how do you keep the, yeah. oh, you sold out? And then secondly, how do you, how do you make sure that the, the, the harmony between showing people like, hey, hey, look, this is all the keeping that, you know, well, not hidden, but you know, you know what I mean? <laughs> totally. I, there's, there's a couple of things. Um, the first thing I think is important is where's the line. Mm. So back in my early comedy days when I was doing stand-up, I did corporate very early on. Right. Normally, normally it's like, you know, a club comic would begrudgingly do corporate. And whereas I actually I actually loved doing corporate. I loved that there would be an audience that all had the same sensibility, that all shared the same references. Yeah. You get, you know, if you're into Intel and you go, what's the deal with the Pentium 3? You know, like everybody gets the joke, right? Well, and then you're Everybody's not like, – yeah. Your material can stay like I remember when I did it, I did one bit. I did my first stand up bit I did in Victoria and then the next one I did in a rural setting way up island and the same set tanked. You know what I mean? So right. with corporate, yeah. you can you're right. Like the the success rate is a little bit higher, right? Yeah, yeah. And 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 yeah, you don't you don't have to be as funny because 100 percent of the audience gets the joke. Right. Whereas in a club setting. You can get great laughter from a quarter of the room, and the other three quarters, like I don't know, I don't, I don't, I don't know who Roger Ramjet is. What was that reference? You know, <laughs> and don't ask me why. I just 
that's okay. Randomly I, chose Roger Ramjet as that reference. Now, now this now but, the theme song is running through my head, but that's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'd have comedians because I was doing a lot of corporate. Would go, oh, you do the corporate like you sold out to corporate, and my response is always, oh, you think I sold out? They're like, well, yeah, because you can't say the things you want to say. And I go, really? You go and get your own TV show on NBC. <laughs> and you tell me, after you've heard notes from the network, how you've sold that. Right. So we all can do the things that we want to do. And we can all uh, choose to or not choose to do those things. But just because it's corporate opposed to a TV show, it's the exact same process. Mm -hmm. Um, the second thing was, I do have a line. There are some things that I will not do. I got asked to, I did a gig for PepsiCo and, and I, and I, and I can share their name because it is a positive spin for them. Um, but they came to me and said, we heard you have a, a bit in, in one of your speeches about Coke. We just need you to pull that out. And I said, no, I won't. And they're like, oh, what? We're, we're Pepsi. <laughs> And I go, yeah, I, I look, you bring an outside speaker because we bring an outside perspective. Right. And if I let you censor the stuff that I think is important, then save yourself the cash and get your VP to deliver the speech. But if you want an outsider to come in and deliver the speech, that outsider is going to bring some things that you don't that you don't may not agree with. But on the things that you do, that gives you way more credibility because I've said I agree with you. So I'm not taking it out. If you'd like to, you know, not book me, that's totally cool. We'll rip up the contract. That's all good. And they and they said, uh, no, okay, you know, you can do it. We appreciate and respect you having that line. And I kept it in. So there are some things where I go, not, I'm not doing that. I'm not selling out to just doing what they want because over the long haul, when we talk about playing the long game, the long, the short game is I'll change that up for that particular audience to say, I'll say whatever you want me to say, but that, that hurts me in the long run. Sure. And I'm playing the long game. Yep. The third part of it that in, in terms of, you know, um, uh, uh, selling out or whatever, um, um, is I, I know that my brain doesn't work that way. I know that it's important. I know that there needs to be money in the account because we have 20 people who work here. And I had this horrible experience a year into running my agency. So I left, you know, a multinational ad agency as executive creative director. And like most people in that position before me, I came out going, it's time for me to do my own thing. And I'm going to run it the way I want to run it and everything. Right. And so I do this. And so for the year I had the speaking was funding the agency and we got some smaller projects and stuff. Then we get our first big client, retained business. I got to hire a bunch of people. Speaking had died down. I bought a house. I got married. The well was dry mm. because there's no speaking in the summertime. So the finance person came to me in August and said, you know, payroll is next Thursday. And I go, yeah. And she's like, well, there's no money in the account. <laughs> I'm like, what do you, we just billed $100,000 like last week. She's like, uh, yeah, we're not getting that for 60 days. And I was like, oh, this is cash flow. Yeah. She's like, yes. <laughs> and I said, okay, what do we do about it? Right. And she said, this is your business. <laughs> you tell me what you're doing about it. But we need the cash. And I had nothing. Zero dollars to my name. And it was the lowest point of the entrepreneurial journey 
where I had the very first employee, Bridget Teller, who's a wonderful human being, came up to me, pulled me aside and said, I heard your, your conversation with Lee. And if you need to not pay me for three months, I've saved up some money and you can do that. And I felt like the biggest failure because, you know, if you have a job, that's your deal, right? You get a check every two weeks. And um, I called the client and I said, I need you to courier me that check. And this is a horrible thing call for me to make. It's the first invoice we've given you. And I need, but I need you to courier me that check. Now, here's the deal. If you courier me the check, here's what I promise. I promise that within three months, I will give up equity to bring in a partner who is more savvy with the numbers, who knows finance and can operate and run this this agency on a daily basis. Because clearly the creative guy doesn't have the chops nor the interest to do that. And I did it. And so I gave up equity and brought in somebody who who could do that. But it's one thing to say, yes, we need to, we don't have to look at the bottom line. Everything's going to take care of itself. Yeah. Yeah. Hit zero cash flow. See how that works out. So I, I fully comprehend and understand that as artists, we need to push and keep pushing the envelope. It's not about the budget. It's about doing great work, all that stuff. Yes. We need to do that up to a point because if you have no money in your account, I'm sorry, it doesn't work. Right. Right. Well, it's a, and, the Drucker po- quote, everything's a trade off, right? You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. I mean, you get to decide where that is. By the way, the story you just shared, that was think, do, say, right? Like literally, you know, like, how am I going to do this? Okay, let's put a plan together. And then you told the client, hey, this is what I'm going to do. And yeah. you know what I mean, like, like it was, there was that. So you, the, the philosophy that you bring up in this book has been ingrained in you for years and years and years, right? Yeah, I think through, through pain and <laughs> failure. <laughs> it's like a bit that you've worked on and honed and fine-tuned. <laughs> it's gold. It's gold material now. Yeah, it's like the, I, I tell speakers, but when I do a session, sometimes I'm finding the funny on like how do you incorporate humor into a speech. And it's like you pan for silver, you work for gold. Yep. You know, like the, it's not going to be shiny and valuable right out of the gate. You got you to gotta polish that stuff up over time. Um, and we'll come back to that other question, which is, okay, so you've got you as a creative person, but you've got the business stuff behind you now. How does that, because that's, that's a hard thing to, to, you know, I was talking to my friend Chase Reeves, who was, who was at, we actually had a podcast episodes coming up that we recorded live at, at the big ready. And one of the things that he's always been meant to seemingly done is he's like, he, he makes these YouTube videos and they're so like, they're lengthy reviews of backpacks and bags. And you're like, how do you make like a half hour to an hour long video about bags? But yet people are watching them going, oh my God, this is the best review ever. Like he's, he's found a way, but most people are like, how is he making money? And he is, he's making money, but it's behind the scenes, but no one's looking at that. So how does someone, when they're trying to do the, the you know, the, the important work, the intention, right? Like, how do they still pay attention? And how have you been able to kind of pay attention to the the, the numbers underneath and yet keep them again, not, not hidden, but they're not so overtly apparent to people. Cause it can be where you're like, Oh, well, this person is clearly doing this for, for the money. I can see it. Yeah. Yes. And how I've done that is I've identified the two main revenue sources in my life. There are two main revenue sources. One is speaking two is the agency. Mm-hmm. Now in doing that, every other activity should support those two. 
And because if the most profitable work comes from the speaking and the agency, then I'm not going to nickel and dime people on doing some hashtag sponsored post because I'm going to deliver six bucks because someone bought a, you know, a computer or something like, right. it's just like, no, I'm going to lose credibility in the long haul. And that is going to affect my most profitable revenue source. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and so all the other activities, I look at investments to build the business in other places. So I just, you know, we just, uh, our podcast is called the coup. We just won outstanding business series, uh, from the Canadian podcast awards. Congratulations. And thank you. And I went into that saying, I just want to do, like, I don't care about the money. Like, I don't, let's invest in, I want to be able to do it. And I want to be able to listen to this and go, that's an amazing series. Now, if somebody comes in and says, you, you know, and we signed a deal with Rogers on a 50-50 rev share. And if they want to go out and sell it and they cut us a check, then then that's great. That's fine. But it's not something I'm going to, I'm not going to chase, you know, a thousand dollars an episode and i'm again again i'm not saying that's wrong but you get to if decide that's your business yeah, you but get, I get to, to decide. decide that yeah, yeah. and i it was i was more focused on creating something from art right that how do we just make the best highest production value quality podcast in that in that of what i wanted to do mm-hmm. and and the way you do that is you don't worry about the bottom line because then, then next thing you know, it's like, oh, you know, don't don't pay don't pay twelve hundred dollars to commission an original theme song. Why would you do that? There's no memory, and it's like, well, this is art. Mm-hmm. I'm doing that. Yeah, yeah, and it, it you know, as as we you know wrap up here, it's, it's interesting that you know the idea of uh, paying attention, like you're paying attention as because the, the, the subtitle of the book is how to seize attention and build trust in a busy, busy world. But in order to seize attention, you really need to pay attention to what's going on so that you can make sure that you're putting the right thing out there so that you can seize people's attention. Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, I, I think it's, and so it's when we're so, I don't know, we just, when we chase the pitch so much, people start to tune out. Mm-hmm. You know, like we in our informal chatter before we hit the record button, we were talking about our our good friend Scott Stratton, and me, Scott, and Mitch Joel yep. have a daily text uh, where we rant, um, um, and um, the the th- the one thing that the three of us share, um, and I don't know if you do this, if you do, I apologize, but uh, you know, some of my very very good friends do it, so, mm-hmm. um, but it is the people who quote themselves on social media. Oh God, a, no. <laughs> a designed Instagram post with the, with a quote from you in a photo of you with your name. And it's like, I know it's you cause it's your account. Yep. It, you're saying, why do you need to quote yourself? And why do we need to quote ourselves? Because people feel, well, if it gets shared, then it's not going to be attributed to me. And I'm going to, that's an accountant talking. That's not great content. Yep. I'm sorry. It's not. And um, we put our own product before our purpose, and we start quoting ourselves. Winston Churchill was in politics for like what a hundred years, and you know we've ended up with three quotes from him, one of the greatest leaders of all time, that are worthy of being requoted. And there are some of my best friends, speakers and thought leaders, who are quoting themselves five times a day. Well, I think, and I think I will tell you that initially I was doing that at the very beginning because yep. you didn't know, didn't know, and then you get. 
you're, it, it, there's a level of insecurity. There's this validation that you get and all that stuff. But eventually you're just like, it's empty calories, right? It is totally empty calories. Right. So I've gotten better with that over the years. And it's funny because you mentioned Scott. Well, I have seen the jackass whisperer quote many, many times. And then when someone else, I remember what happened. And this is the, when you start to, you will have your people come to your defense. Because when people were saying, oh, the jackass whisperer. And everyone's like, no, no, no. Scott said that for Scott. Scott didn't lean into, like Scott let yeah. the, he let the, the crowd kind of go, okay, come to my thanks everybody for coming to my because i mean what's the point right plus yeah everybody thought Brene brown said it yep and i mean she was good enough to get you know to throw like hey it wasn't it was scott yeah yeah, yeah. um but it's just a sliver of what he does and i think that's the thing is if you it's the body of work that that you're kind of you know the bigger picture the long game right and if you're focused on like you know how do i make sure that people know that this is my thing and i've i mean you know i've seen it with with big companies, I've seen it with individuals where it's like, Hey, you know, you forgot, you know, you know, this is my thing and you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, okay, but you know, most people are so, and and this is one thing I've had to learn too about content, especially is as a creative, you want to make content constantly because you're in your brain, you go, well, that's already out there. So, so everyone's seen it, which is arrogance to the nth degree. Once you get past that point of like, you know what? I don't think, no, if you go the opposite way, look, no one's seen that, then it, it helps you go, okay, how do I reframe, re repurpose, whatever you want to do, this particular piece of content, you get better at not, again, it's like we talked about earlier. It's the, the, when the content went the first time, think of that as a, a piece of improv and what's the genesis of sketch improv. So you get yeah. the chance to refine it and make it better and, you know, figure out, oh, well, what I said there needs to be massaged or different. So you get better at massaging and reframing and getting better, like a talk, like, you know, that's one of the dangers a lot of speakers have. I've fallen victim to it. I, I imagine that early on you did too, like making a new talk for every single thing. Or, or, oh, yeah, or you multiple can't do that. Talks. No, you can't because then you don't get good at any of them. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, yeah, it's like no comedian ever is like, where am I performing? Okay, I'll write a whole new 20-minute set. Well, unless, no. you're, unless you're George Carlin or Louis C.K. back in the day where they would just do their – but they would do their material for an entire year, right? Yeah. And then they would toss it. And start over, yeah. but they wouldn't do a new. They wouldn't say, "Let's book this special and do it" until they've worked the room. I remember um, when Robin Williams was still with us. He would go to he would go to the Urban Well in Vancouver, or go to the Showbox in Seattle, and test out new material before he would go on the road because he liked working those towns. And there was a sophisticated comedy edge to those towns, so he'd be able to go, "Okay, did this work? Didn't?" But you have to be willing to, um, again, you know, if you if you want to be creative. Um, that's the kind of stuff you need to do. And you could do that, you know, that's, I think in all honesty, that's on where social media can play a real big role is you can play that stuff there because it's a river anyway. And then if you're going to put your stamp on it, then, then the book, the bigger video, the, the, the talk that's going to, you're going to, you know, fine tune and all that stuff. I think that that's where that stuff lies. Yeah. 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 Totally. Ron, this has been great. Um, when last, last point, uh, People want to take action on this. I like to have people leave here today and go, you know what? I, I've picking up the book, Think, Do, Say, How to Seize Attention and Build Trust in a Busy, Busy World. How do I start? What's the first thing, the big, the, the, the one degree step, the small step I can take to start doing this today? I think to, and, I'm, and again, I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to lose my credibility by, by playing to the room, but given what you do, the first thing that people actually need to do is they need to look at what they're currently doing and make that may, and make that way more efficient. So, and that may be not the answer you expected given the book, mm. but 
there, what happens with people is think to say is one more framework that people can apply to hopefully get clarity on what they do and just to achieve more and to become more fulfilled and happier. Right. Right. But there's 4 million and I'm not, I don't think that mine is certainly isn't the only one and it may not be the best one for certain people, but I think it, it is a simple approach, but you're already working eight hours a day. Where are you going to fit this in? So the first thing we need to do is what the language we use here at the agency is we need to put on the what we're currently doing is we sit on the assembly line. And, you know, there was the original HP way from that Tom Peters wrote about, which was management by walking around. And sadly, that's become management by reply all. Right. And and so we sit there and we manage people by writing novellas and, and me emailing everybody. And then it hit six o'clock and we're like, well, I'd love to do this thing to say thing. But Timmy's got T-ball. I got to go. So first thing. What are you currently doing and how can you do that way more efficiently to carve out time at the end of the day where you have dedicated to personal development and have dedicated to doing the thing to say? When are you going to do this? How are you going to do it? Um, and um, and commit to that time. Book yourself a meeting uh, you know, over a series of, of weeks to continue the process. Other than, you know, opposed to going... Yeah, it'd be great. I'll do it at some point. I'll send myself a note. So carve out the time by, by making what you currently do more efficient. Then, the, you know, think to say, you can most certainly buy the book or listen to the book or whatever, but what do you believe in? <laughs> you know, what actions are you, do you currently take or do you need to take to reinforce that belief? And on a simple part on the say side is what story can you tell other people that best illustrates what you believe and, and what you did. What time in your career where you actually did something which proves you believe in something? What is that story? What happened? Who were the people involved? And um, I think that's a nice way to, to, to begin the journey. And that was a great way to end our discussion. Ron, thanks for joining me today on the Productivityist Podcast. Thanks, Michael. Much appreciated.